Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Cosmos, Cosmos Space-Time Odyssey, and Cosmos Possible Worlds. Cosmos of Space-Time Odyssey, episode 13, the series finale, titled Unafraid of the Dark. Glad to hear that Neil deGrasse Tyson finally answered the question that Nickelodeon's been asking since the 90s. Uh, (laughs) They asked it every week, and now Tyson finally answered them. should do an are you afraid of the dark television archive that would be beautiful that would be absolutely lovely i should absolutely do that man i just i got most of it on dvd uh i got most of the original run i just have to track down seasons six and seven uh which nickelodeon seems to have buried under a landfill uh, <laughs> which is a shame because like season seven has some pretty good stuff in there uh tale of the silver sight that three-part episode that was one of the, my favorite things that are you afraid of the dark ever did midnight society not around the campfire going out into the world experiencing their own scary story rather than just telling one uh, like that was real good and then nickelodeon took that and only that for the revival <laughs> And so now it doesn't feel special anymore. But whatever. I still loved Tale of the Silver Sight. Man, I'm not sure when this Cosmos podcast became an Are You Afraid of the Dark podcast. But honestly, I'm okay with it. (laughs) Anyway, so Cosmos. This is a great finale. This is an excellent final episode of Cosmos of Space-Time Odyssey. It is absolutely beautiful. And it's an absolutely amazing uh, final leg of this wonderful, wonderful updated journey that is so poetic and amazing and fantastic. So we open this up, and Neil deGrasse Tyson spends a lot of time talking about the Library of Alexandria. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this segment because uh, regular listeners of this show know that Carl Sagan 
did multiple segments on the Library of Alexandria. So anything I talk about with the information that Neil deGrasse Tyson brings out here, uh, it would mostly just be recycled, and I would rather have the conversation flow more smoothly than that on this podcast. But it is worth noting that Neil deGrasse Tyson ends up framing this differently. Whereas Carl Sagan framed it as a setback of human knowledge lasting centuries... Neil deGrasse Tyson frames it in a much different way. He says, look at all this knowledge. Look at all this insane, ridiculous amount of knowledge. That's only a fraction of what you have on your damn phone. Like, it's just like, what What a wild transition. What a wild juxtaposition between Sagan and Tyson. Because Carl Sagan lived in a much different time. His version came out in 19-frickin'-80s. Smartphones... Weren't even a thought in anyone's head yet. And so, for him, the most interesting way to go about it for his version was... Look at how much knowledge was lost when the library burned down. Look at how much human achievement was set back uh, because the Library of Alexandria burned down. But then Neil deGrasse Tyson, because he's living in a different age... Because this comes out in 2014, where where smartphones are very prevalent and have a lot of information like the more interesting in this iteration is you have more than the library of alexandria we all have libraries of alexandrias on in our fingertips essentially mine has a cute doggy hugging a goose on it (laughs) as my wallpaper and it's beautiful and wonderful and i love it uh like, it's just, it's fascinating how, how different, like, they both give the same information, Sagan and Tyson give the same information, but they both interpret it differently for the viewer, because the viewers are living in two entirely different eras. These shows are being made in two entirely different eras. It's, it's fascinating to me. It really, really is. Uh, but then, after this, Tyson takes us on a little thought experiment. Pick a star, any star. Now imagine one of the planets or moons orbiting that star has life on it. And they think they have it all figured out. They think they're the center of the universe and they think they know everything they need to know. Uh, They can't possibly uh, have any knowledge that they're unaware of. Yada, 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 yada. Would you take that civilization seriously? And then Tyson holds up a mirror and goes... Well, guess what? We were that for quite a long time. (laughs) And then uh, science proved us wrong. Science proved how stupid we were. And from here, we kind of go on a big journey of our own ignorance. Uh, We talk about cosmic rays, uh, how they were discovered in those... uh, in those balloon rides into the sky of Austria... Measuring radiation, uh, the discovery of cosmic rays, how we were able to trace some of them back to pulsars, but most of them we have no idea what the source is. We have no idea where the vast majority of cosmic rays come from. And then we get into the ridiculous number of discoveries that a scientist named Zwicky made. Early in the 20th century. He 
accidentally discovered supernovas and neutron stars. And decades later, astronomers were looking up at the sky and found that he was right. Uh, He theorized that some galaxies have distortions around them that made it look like they were sort of in a funhouse mirror or that you'd see two images of the same galaxy if you looked in a telescope. And astronomers looked up decades later, turns out he was right. And he discovered freaking dark matter. He observed that the galaxies were moving so fast, they should have blown apart. So there has to be some giant mass holding them together in the centers of galaxies, holding them together. And it has to be way, way, way larger, have way more mass than the sun, uh, than any star. And turns out, that is dark matter. Discovered all of this. This man is a legend, and no one has ever heard of him, shockingly enough. And then we get into the discovery of dark energy. And I love this bit. I really, 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 really love this bit. Because it is such a... A long road to get to this cool discovery. Like, Tyson sort of guides us through... Sort of a discovery Rube Goldberg machine, essentially. Uh, These very specific types of supernovas called standard candles... That always have the exact brightness, no matter how far, uh, no matter how big they are, no matter what their deal is, it always is the same brightness, the same intensity. This specific type of supernova is always the same form of brightness. So those are used sort of as a standard to figure out distance uh, of objects. Because, like, if you just go by normal stars, you can't judge them based on brightness. Because some stars further away are super bright, some stars closer are super dim. Like, you just, you don't know. So these standard candles are what's used to sort of, like, sort of as a constant to figure out, okay, what's the distance away everything is... And then because we have this method of measuring distance, because we have this method of figuring out distance, now we're able to chart where everything is relative to us. And because of that, we're able to figure out that the universe is expanding. Now, the assumption for a long time, even into Carl Sagan's cosmos is that eventually one of two things will happen. Either A, the expansion will stop and the gravity will, like, fold in on itself and cause a big crunch, cause everything to recede back into the state it was before the Big Bang, or it would just stop, period. It would just continue drifting and drifting and drifting and 
then we're done. But, in 1998, very recently, like, I was alive when this discovery happened, two competing teams of astronomers tried to figure this out, and they both came to the same conclusion that the expansion was not slowing down, it was speeding up. There was a force greater than gravity that was overcoming it and forcing everything to continue to expand outward forever and ever and ever and ever, and that is what we call dark energy. And I love how Neil deGrasse Tyson immediately says, hey, we say dark matter and dark energy because that's just placeholders for our ignorance, essentially. We say dark because we have no idea what the hell it is, and that's okay. Like, we need to admit when we don't have all the answers. That's every bit as important to science as finding definitive conclusions. And then we get a bit more terrestrial. We get closer to our solar system a bit. Uh, We talk about the heliosphere around the solar system that sort of protects against cosmic rays and all of that, uh, absorbs a lot of radiation. Sometimes it expands, sometimes it contracts, depending on when solar winds are happening. And if a supernova happens... And supernova energy hits uh, the heliosphere. It just gets forced backward, forced backward, forced backward. And if it goes further than the Earth, we get... That's all, folks. We get bombarded by a shit ton of radioactive supernova debris. Now, the last time this happened was 2 million years ago. It does not happen often at all. And we know that it happened 2 million years ago because we found these uh, manganese nodules, these rocks left over from that event that, like, grow super slowly, like a millimeter every million years. And they're covering this layer of energy that we're able to find and date back to this event, able to date back to this supernova explosion that brought the heliosphere back uh, further than the Earth. And that's a really cool bit. That's a really cool moment. Uh, Tyson then goes into the Voyager stuff, dissects everything that the Voyager probe has been able to, the probes, I should say, uh, have been able to discover throughout their voyage among the stars, uh, what's on the Voyager spacecraft, uh, the little message to... Aliens with its music and greetings and all that stuff. Uh, The certain universal languages that it utilizes. uh, The hydrogen atoms that uh, that sort of shift electron orbits at a regular frequency. Uh, The sun... Surrounded by pulsars with very specific frequencies, so you can tell exactly where in the universe uh, the Earth is, or at least the solar system is, I should say. Uh, Just diving into all the things that the Voyager represents, all the things that it has on board it, uh, and then we talk about how Voyager took one last picture before leaving our solar system of the Earth from the outer reaches of our solar system. 
seeing this pale blue dot, as Carl Sagan put it. And we play that beautiful monologue from Carl Sagan talking about the pale blue dot. Like, every human that ever was, that you've ever known, that you've ever heard of, just takes place on this small speck of nothing. And it's this really wonderful moment. And then this leads into Neil deGrasse Tyson's big uh, final monologue about the beauties of science, how humanity has been able to break this prison, this terrestrial prison to explore the stars, uh, how it was built off of science, how it was built off of men and women who followed the simple rules of the scientific method, uh, how we have become this, like, part of an evolutionary chain spanning, like, millions of years. And how our children will continue that chain, will continue that constant quest to survive and also know our place in the universe. And there's a very beautiful, like, final moment where Neil deGrasse Tyson's talking about how our children will inherit this journey. And... You see the ship of imagination taking off, but no one's in the seat. Neil deGrasse Tyson's left the ship of imagination to go out on its own. Almost signifying, soon someone else will sit in this chair. Soon the next generation will sit in this chair and take us on a new journey of new information from the new cosmos. Symbolism which kind of got undercut by the fact that Neil deGrasse Tyson returned several years later to host Possible Worlds, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) It's a beautiful moment nonetheless, and that's where the episode ends. Yeah, I I love Cosmos of Space-Time Odyssey. Cosmos of Space-Time Odyssey is absolutely spectacular. It is a beautiful, beautiful extension of the Carl Sagan series, a beautiful update of that classic show. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's fascinating. It's acceptable. It's accessible. It's compelling. It's this beautiful celebration of human achievement. Uh, a warning of what might be to come if humanity just continues to recede into ignorance. It's a phenomenal tribute to Carl Sagan. Uh, it's everything that was great about Carl Sagan's Cosmos just improved. Like, Much like Blue Planet 2 was Blue Planet but better, Cosmos of Space-Time Odyssey is Cosmos but better. I've been saying that for weeks. I will continue to say that uh, because it's true. Yes, it gets repetitive at times. Yes, it it gets... uh, It retreads certain things a bit more often than you'd like, but overall, it's great. Overall, it's fantastic, and I love that show so goddamn much. Uh, So we're almost done. We only have Possible Worlds left. That is the last Cosmos series we have to discuss. And then it's all over. Then uh, that's it. And we can all go home. Get ready for that. Uh, I've only seen the first couple episodes. I do not know what we're in for. For all I know, Cosmos Possible Worlds ends up being trash. It probably doesn't, though. It probably... 
I'd, I'd be shocked if it did. I'm very excited to finally getting around to watching the entirety of Possible Worlds and finally uh, seeing that whole thing and talking about whatever the hell goes on there. Uh, anyway, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archive so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as we go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast app you prefer. Feel free to call in. As well, it's as simple as just push up a button on the Anchor app. I will play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468. And support the show, patreon.com slash thomasclark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing Cosmos Possible Worlds, Episode 1. Talk to you then.